Hey, fintech friends. Hey, fintech friends. How are you? It feels like it's been a while. It feels like it's been a long time. We've got such an exciting episode this month. If you listen to last month's episode, you'll realize how good, how amazing some of these conversations are that we're having. And this month is no different. This month, we have two guests, not just one. We have Marusha, the global head of partnerships at Paymentology, and Ray, digital partnerships at Visa. So I can't wait to get into it. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. So just to go through the structure of this podcast, it's going to be the Fintectionary. It's going to be our guest interviews. It's going to be a snippet um, from our paid subscriber list signals. And then it's going to be events. Okay, let's just get started. Okay, so this week's Fintectionary is something that we touch on in the conversation with Paymentology. It is multi-cloud. And according to Google, multi-cloud is when an organization uses cloud computing services from at least two cloud providers to run their applications. Instead of using a single cloud stack, multi-cloud environments typically include a combination of two or more public clouds, two or more private clouds, or some combination of both. By having the freedom to create a strategy that utilizes multiple vendors, you can pick and choose the capabilities that best suit your specific business needs and minimize vendor lock-in. Increasingly, organizations are adopting multi-cloud strategies and multi-cloud solutions to allow them to run applications where they need them without adding complexity. That's this week's Fintectionary. This week in fintech. Australian payments enablement and software provider Flywire acquired university and student management software builder StudyLink in order to build out its education payment business. Tenti, an early stage fintech VC, announced the acquisition of Hacker Quarters, a startup accelerator with a presence in fintech. Capital markets access platform Q4 sold itself to private equity firm Sumeru for $257 million, fully diluted. Fund management and distribution platform AllFunds is reportedly approaching private equity investors to gauge interest in potential buyouts. Italian payment giant Nexi is said to be in talks with infrastructure fund F2I Fund to sell off its Italy clearing and digital corporate businesses for 800 million euros. It's separately in talks to sell off its ATM network as well. Kennedy Lewis, an alternative credit management with 14 billion under management, is exploring options including a sale. That's this week in FinTech. Today's episode of Hey Fintech Friends is sponsored by Brex. Brex is a financial stack created for founders by founders that helps startups optimize their finances at every stage of growth. So you've got that first investor check in hand, but you need a place to put it to work. With Brex business account, you can safely store, move and grow that cash. And as your business scales, Brex corporate cards, reimbursements and automated bill make life just that little bit easier. Founders, don't spend all day worrying about where your money is at. 
get back to building when you use Brex, the financial stack that scales with you. To learn more, visit brex.com slash BTP. That's B-R-E-X dot com slash BTP. Lovely to meet you both. I'm Helen, the fa- well, the host of um, Hey Fintech Friends. Um, it would be good to know a little bit about you guys, what you do and how you explain it to your non-fintech friends. Marisha, do you want to start and then right after? So Helen, it's wonderful to meet you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm Marisha Naidu. I am from Paymentology. We're a global issue processor. Um, my role is I look after partnerships. You know, the way I explain it to my fintech friends is I'm really a relationship manager working really closely with the schemes to make sure that we create kind of a mutually beneficial partnership. Because if you look at payments, if you look at, you know, the payments industry, it's all about having really strong partnerships and collaborating, working together to build, you know, new and wonderful payment ecosystems. So yeah, head of partnerships uh, globally. Amazing. Yeah, Ray, please tell us about what you do. Um, so nice meeting you, Helen, and thank you for having me. Um, so I work with Invisa um, in the Global FinTech Partnership and Business Development Group. Um, I'm located in Toronto, Canada, and the way I would describe my role is, is my mandate is sourcing and forming new partnerships across various segments, so working with partners um, like enablers, which is exactly how I actually met Marisha. Uh, and uh, my, my experience has been in payments. I have 15 plus years of experience prior to joining Visa in the payment space. Amazing. And so like you, you obviously both work for different companies, but you work together, like Paymentology and Visa work really, really close together. So it would be interesting to know a little bit about that partnership and like what that looks like and how you guys work together and also how that came about. For sure. I'll start in Marisha. Please feel free to jump in as well. Um, so Marisha is one of our clients. Paymentology is one of our clients that we work with. Uh, and we look to partner across various opportunities across the globe uh, when it comes to payments sort of uh, opportunities and, and products. And um, I actually joined the team within the last six months. So this relationship has existed for longer than that actually across the globe. Thanks, Ray. And j- just to add, so on the paymentology side, we are, like Ray says, we're a client of visas, but we work really, really closely with banks and fintechs to connect them to you know the visa network and so on the paymentology side i think our very first visa card was in 2010 when we did the visa cards for the soccer world cup in south africa and you know our relationship with visa has just grown from there where you know there was a need in the market to create a card a prepaid card that was really simple to issue um, we needed to make sure that the card could be used everywhere. And so that's really what's, you know, started us on this journey of, you know, being a partner of visas. I think for us, it's really grown. I've been with the company for 13 years now. And for us, making sure that we have really strong partnerships with schemes, with visa across the globe is instrumental to our business, right? It's it's pivotal to both of our success, you know, we connect to Visa across five regions. Um, you know, that's Europe, the UK, Middle East, and Africa, Latin America, as well as in APAC. So the fact that we, you know, provide a service for, you know, 
fintechs across the globe, having these really strong connections and these partnerships with Visa helps us just do things like fast track implementations, create new, exciting, um, you know, payment services for customers, you know, create rails that really are borderless. And so I think that's really where our partnership, um, you know, helps all of us and, you know, every single fintech that enters the market. Um, having both Visa as well as Paymentology as a part of that ecosystem, you know, really helps to, you know, drive their business forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, Marisha, like if we stay a little bit on you, it would be good to know um, about some of those use cases that have really excited you. Like you just um, mentioned South Africa, like has there been anything or has there been like a moment or a specific uh, use case with Paymentology where you've been like, oh, this is why I work here. This is why I've decided to do this. Absolutely. And I think there's so many to choose from. The fintech space is, it's such an interesting space to be in because it touches, you know, if you look at payments, payment touch, payments touch, touches every single person's lives on a, on a daily basis, right? Every single thing we do, there's some kind of embedded finance um, involved. And so if I look at what I call my aha moment, um, it, was what, it was very early on when I first started at Paymentology, you know, it was Tatuka then. We had a, a very, very simple product, which was like a payroll card. And, you know, I, I had just started out in payments back then. And, you know, I have a, you know, I had a helper who used to help me around the house and, you know, she was always saying to me like, oh, it's so dangerous. You know, if I pay her in cash, you know, it's really dangerous. And at that stage, she didn't have a bank account. And so, you know, at Paymentology, we had a very, very simple kind of like prepaid payroll card. So I said to her, like, you know, let's try it out. You know, I'll pay you on a card and let's see how it goes. And for me, that became, it was such a pivotal moment in my life because for the very first time I could see that what we were actually doing was helping everyday people, you know, be included in the financial, um, you know, the financial sector in, you know, in a very, very simple way. So for me, it was really like, okay, there's a simple prepaid card. I can pay my helper on, you know, using this card. It's now changing her life because she now has a form of, you know, a safer way of you know, receiving her payments. She now can make payments using that card. And for me, it was like, why are we not doing this everywhere? Like we, financial inclusion needs to be the cornerstone of every single financial institution, whether it's a fintech or a bank. And so from that moment on, I was just like, challenge accepted. And I'm going to make financial inclusion, you know, pivotal to every single thing that I do going forward. And so that was, that was the moment for me. Yeah, that's such a great moment. And actually, as you were speaking, I was really thinking about, I guess, a lot of people who do need, who will need like, who need prepaid cards for so many reasons. Like we live in such a cashless society. Um, and I just think of like, for instance, um, um, most fun, like a lot of vulnerable people in society, or if you, for instance, had to leave home for any reason, like a lot of women or not necessarily just women, but like people going through DV and then they need ways out or ways to kind of have money that's separate. And I know not necessarily that's the use case that you were thinking of, but I guess when you were speaking, I was just thinking of like all the kind of intersectional reasons why someone may may need a prepaid card and cash, like you said, is just not really an option like it was, or we just don't use it as much. Um, And so I, so I, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, um, 
and especially coming well I'm not I'm from Britain but my heritage is Nigerian and I can think of again in you know the global south there's so many use cases for something like this which um is being explored by paymentology you're absolutely right and I think if you look at emerging markets and you know I've you know, obviously I'm from South Africa, but I've lived in Thailand, Singapore. You know, we've, we've, I've kind of managed the whole of our Asian business. So if you look at emerging markets and, you know, the, the really creative things that fintechs are doing in these emerging markets, it really is just such an exciting space to be in. But they're solving for everyday consumer challenges. And I think that's what makes, you know, the fintech space so incredibly interesting and also vital to our business. I think there was an interesting stat that was like 2% of, you know, global revenue runs through fintechs. And I mean, that is an incredible statistic because at the end of the day, you know, we can see that fintechs are really playing an important role in, you know, how consumers are actually taking part or getting involved in the financial sector. So yeah, it's really interesting. And I think also when you look at what we're kind of seeing come out of Africa, out of Latin America, out of Asia Pacific, we can see that, you know, the the use of competition in all of these regions and the creativity that's coming out of, you know, all of these fintechs in these emerging markets, there's a lot that we can also share with emerge markets like the UK, like Europe, like the US to say, look, there are fintechs doing some really cool things and we can also embed those into even emerging markets. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess I was thinking of times when, for instance, I am it like even this year I was in Gambia and things that should be so easy, like getting money, da, 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 it's all of a sudden way more difficult than it than it needs to be. But like you said, because of the way these countries have been structured, there is so much creativity because people haven't been able to rely on maybe the same levels of infrastructure as other places. So there's so much creativity in like how consumers develop um develop things like like you said marisha um and and ray like just on your point i know you just said about the um about stat do you have like kind of a use case again and for this realm yeah for sure i think like think of a scenario where there's someone who is let's just say in the u.s and looking to send funds back home and in that scenario uh you know there's a whole bunch of scenarios where someone can send the funds it has to go through different types of of payment methods to ultimately get to um a, a someone at the other end, which is a potato, so that person has to go there actually and request the funds. So imagine, first of all, like there's a component of the steps that has to be taken, the amount of time that it takes for those funds to actually reach that end user. And then also, you know, there's the safety of having to carry those funds um, in cash afterwards uh, when you're you're going home. So how do we how do we remove a lot of those frictions? So number one, we have we have capabilities that basically allow someone to be able to get funds um, sent over to another region in less than 30 minutes. And then also, why not have it go on to, um, you know, possibly a prepaid card where there is, you know, you can automatically have that go to a wallet so that you can start using it right away, whether that's an e-commerce or face-to-face. But at the same time, um, you don't have to have to, to worry about the concern of, ha- of carrying cash ultimately or having to go, you know, to leave your home to go to a Bottega to be able to pick it up. Yeah, I was, I was just going to agree with Ray. I think that use case is one that we're seeing everywhere. You know, that fund transfer being able 
able to remit funds, you know, you want instant, you, you know, you kind of want the cash to be there instantly, whether it's, you know, dispersed onto a card or a third party. So that's one that we're seeing. Um, it's a global trend that we're seeing. Yeah, or maybe this isn't necessarily the use case you're thinking of. But even again, as you both are talking, I'm thinking about just um the amount of people that migrate, like I just moved countries and maybe I don't, I haven't used a fin- uh, prepaid card, but for some payments, it probably would be easier. Or there are so many people who are in un- vulnerable situations, like I said, like refugees or something. And like you said, the, like Ray, the ability to not have to carry cash and these types of things create such seamless and easy ways to, you know, um, to do transactions in a way that, um, just isn't there before. So I can definitely see where your passion, where, where both your passions come from and why you're in this space. I, wa- I was wondering, Marisha, like what the kind of long-term milestones are for paymentology. Obviously to kind of solve the issue of um, the underbanked, is there anything else that we can think of? Definitely. I mean, there's, there's quite a few for us. Yes, financial inclusion is you know, definitely something that we are pushing in all of our regions. Um, But I think a huge one for us is, you know, digitization. It's so important, as Ray has already said, you know, you know, most of the populations, whether it's in emerging or emerged markets, you know, smartphones are now a way of life, right? And creating a digital solution for customers is absolutely vital to, you know, driving financial inclusion, driving all of the different payment mechanisms um, that we're seeing come into play, including things like um, remittance, fund transfer, even the way SMEs pay, you know. So when you look at the different segments that we're seeing evolve, even in the fintech space, lots of them are around fund transfer. It's around, you know, if you look at SMEs, and when, when when I talk about SMEs, it's also looking at, you know, digital content creators are now SMEs, right? And so it's really, for us, a key milestone is looking at how we include all of the different segments of customers that we're now seeing and making sure that, you know, on the paymentology side, it's not just about card, right? It's really about technology. And so what we are heavily investing in is things like how do we invest in our technology so that we can create the rails and solutions for fintechs that can be embedded in any type of solution. And I'll give you an example, a really great fintech um, that's coming out of Africa now. Um, the founder is actually, he he's a musician. He was a, a, a hip hop um, rapper in South Africa. And, you know, he's called Slicker. And what he's done is he's created a platform that is used for, you know, the youth. So it's a financial literacy app. So basically anyone who wants to buy a concert ticket or merchandise of a, you know, specific artist, they can go onto his website and actually purchase it, or they can get a prepaid card to spend at, let's say, you know, a music festival. Now, when you look at fintechs like this, what they're really trying to do is, you know, financial inclusion, financial literacy, create a safer mechanism, you know, for payments. But at the same time, it's all digital. And so when you look at the technology and, you know, what we're trying to create, it's a wonderful example of, you know, multiple um, 
channels in to one fintech to really help them create a fantastic user uh, consumer experience. So milestones and outside drive technology that actually helps to create these really unique customer experiences. Um, another one is to make sure that everything we do has the, the consumer at the heart of the experience, right? Whether that is an individual consumer, whether it's an SME, whether it's a travel aggregator, whether it's a retail card, you know, it's really making sure that our rails are agile and flexible enough to really service any type of customer in the fintech space. I think the third one for us is also looking at, you know, how we embed things like loyalty. Because when you look at all of the fintechs that are up and coming now, it's not just about having one payment mechanism or just, you know, having one card. It's really about, you know, how do you create a holistic experience for the consumer? Um, there was another really interesting fact. 75% of all consumers are willing to switch their, you know, financial institution or their payment mechanism to one that provides, you know, more loyalty and rewards and benefits. So for us, it's also looking at how do we embed more rewards into our solutions? So technology, financial inclusion, digitization, and um, I would say value-added services. Those are the key milestones for us as a company. That's really interesting. And on the digitization point, it kind of reminds me of a conversation I was having uh, um, a couple of weeks ago about TikTok and the fact that like um, for create, like I know you said um, you made a really interesting point that SMEs, like when you think of SMEs, you you know, you're adding in creators and influencers in there. Um, but I think it was that, and I don't know specifically what countries, but I think a lot of countries in the global South don't allow creators to get like payments. So they just get they get like gift cards, not actual money, because there's no way of these creators to access like the money from TikTok. So instead, TikTok gives them um, TikTok gives them gift cards. Whereas in like um, other countries in the global north, you get actual money from being a creator. So it continues to create this like this lack of balance between like you know um, the the global south and the global north. So I'm quite interested in that, but I'm also kind of interested in, and, and this is for, for both of you actually, like Ray and Rusha, like I guess the challenges when it comes to, you know, creating this agile, digital, loyal platform, because, and I don't know what you think of this. It seems as though like, you know, for a startup in your space or, or you know, a lot of spaces, you kind of have to be, you have, you kind of have to create the app of everything. Like you have to add gamification, you have to um, have um, engagement, you have to create a platform in which like users are constantly on it and find a reason to do it. So you can't just, I guess, create just a platform for payments. And I was kind of wondering how you get that balance right, I guess, from a Visa perspective and paymentology, like, is is that okay? Like, is it is it fine that we have to kind of, I guess, gamify all experiences, including like the financial experience for consumers, it, or is that a positive? I mean, I'm the way I've just explained it has been quite negative, but like there are so many positives to gamifying and digitizing, you know, and it allows so much more users. So just wondering your thoughts on that point. And also let me know if that point's not clear. No, I think I, I, I agree with you. I think part of it is we think it's exciting, to be honest. Like we are seeing more and more embedded finance. So really it's, it's the idea that, um, 
you know, you're going where the customer is. So it doesn't have to necessarily be them going to specific, you know, site to be able to do a transaction. It's like, how is it more natural in terms of the experience ultimately for the customer? And I mean, from a visa perspective, we're excited to work with partners uh, to be able to provide those capabilities and, and remove the friction. Because, you know, the example that you used from a, from a TikTok perspective in terms of receiving funds, there's friction there ultimately. And we actually see that as like a, a very critical, the like creators as a, as a critical segment, for example. And we have, we have someone who actually leads that vertical specifically to look for opportunities to, to remove that friction and partner with players to be able to, to help with that. Uh, I think that's where things are going ultimately. More and more, there is going to be, um, you know, that need from a user experience perspective to be simple, to be, whether it's gamified or whatever that may be. And ultimately, I think organizations, companies, fintechs do need to adjust to be able to meet the need of the customer. I think the average person, their attention span is reducing just with you know, everything that is out there in terms of social media. And so part of that is how do we adjust and, and improve ultimately in terms of capabilities we provide to meet the end consumer need? Absolutely. And I think, Ray, you're 100% right. When you look at the industry right now, and as much as every fintech says, oh, we want to have a super app and, you know, an app that does everything. It's all about finding that balance, right? And I think when you look at how they actually do that, the customer is at the heart of it. So, you know, my advice to any fintech that's starting out is know your customer, understand their problem statement, understand what you're trying to solve for, right? And I think if you do that, then you're able to kind of morph into, like Ray saying, this embedded finance, where it's kind of an app that makes things simple for a customer, but at the heart of it solves the problem. So as much as you can have a super app and you can try and you know plug everything into it, it's really about having that balance to say, am I solving a critical problem or need? And B, how do I then grow with my customer? So I would always say, you know, start off, you know, your, your core product should be solving the need up front. And then you start to add on additional product services and features as your consumers grow. We are living in a time now where customers are smart. You know, consumers are no longer happy with just, you know, the service, financial services that they're receiving from banks. These days, customers say, I want to create my own experience. I want to be involved in the process. I want to understand what happens in the background. For example, I want to know what rate I'm sending money using. I want to know what all of the fees are up front. I want to be able to you know, budget for those fees. And at the same time, I know that if I am you know, making X number of payments, I should be getting some kind of reward back. So I think, Yes, having that gamification included into any kind of, you know, payment solution is key because it's not it, it's no longer just a nice to have. It's what customers are asking for, what customers need. It's what creates that stickiness and that loyalty. Um, so it's important. It's it's also the most exciting part of, you know, any solution is is the gamification of it. But again, find that balance.
And yeah, I would say not everything has to be done at once. So it, although yeah. it could seem overwhelming to Marcia's <laughs> point, like there's a lot there. But I think to, as long as you're looking at the end consumer, just like Marcia said, and you're, you're prioritizing what's most important and then building gradually on top of that, th- that's the right way of doing it instead of trying to do everything at once. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, yeah, like you said, it's about finding that right balance and not doing everything at once. Because it, it seems, of course, you want to like do every, not do everything, but you know what I mean? As a company, you want to be able to have these solutions and you've got long-term goals, but yeah, maybe it's just around looking at your space, how you develop that and just growing from there. I'm going to move on. I'm going to ask you guys like a question from a previous guest. We'll see how long this one goes on for and then see if we'll do another. Okay. If you were to leave the industry to work for another sector, enterprise, or, you know, just space what would it be um i mean i i'll tell you uh, i actually have 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 actually tried at a point in my career because i i when i you know finished uh, university and and came into payments there was a moment where i was like is payments it like is this where i want to be and i actually tried um moving to uh telco and, and trying completely something different and i did that for for about a year and very quickly i realized payments is where I want to be like and and the reason for it is is I like the fact that it's so dynamic it's consistently changing you've got all these external factors that are that are ultimately um, impacting it like you've got government um, involvement now which you're seeing an increase of regulatory and compliance requirements you've got you know the the big technology companies you've got you know the apples and the googles of the world who are getting into this space specifically and then you've got the fintechs who are coming in, and then you've got the traditional players. And um, part of it is all with all this that's happening. It's it, the crux of it is the customer, and and really it's all, everything that's happening. The pace of innovation is is benefiting the end customer. So to to keep up with the space and to learn and, and pivot as needed is really what I find exciting. Not to not to say telecommunications is not exciting, but I would have to say probably not as exciting and and um, and ever changing as much as I would say that the payment space is. So I think for myself, at least, I I know this is going to be my space from a career perspective and I I will remain in payments. I think, you know, Ray, I completely agree with you because I think for us being in the payment space, specifically working so closely with fintechs, it's such a fast paced industry. You know, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing payments change the daily lives of consumers every single day. And that rush that you get from working in the fintech space, I think, is going to be really, really hard to replicate in another industry. Uh, but I think for me, my passion is technology, right? If you look at the way payments are kind of morphing and embedding into so many different segments, you know, like travel, transport, the food industry, you know, if you just look at the gig economy, like, for me, there's so many interesting things happening in all of these segments. So I would probably still stay in the technology industry um, and and look at just other ways to kind of create inclusion, not necessarily, you know, specifically just as, as an issue of processor, but just thinking about being more creative around embedded finance is probably the space that I would stay in. And I think if I was to pivot, it would probably be more into the CSR, so um you know, corporate social responsibility. I think for us as a company, CSR has been something that's really, really close to our hearts. And I think if you look at, you know, the state of the environment and, you know, all of these things, it's really important for us to 
come together as 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 people just to say, look, how can we make things better? So if I wasn't in the fintech space, I'd probably be in CSR or some other technology company. <laughs> Amazing. Ray knows that. Ray no- definitely knows they want to work there because you left and came back. And Marisha, um, I think those are all actually really interesting spaces. I think for me, I would do cooking. I, I would, <laughs> I would uh, change industries and like start hosting like supper clubs or something like that. So mine would be like completely... <laughs> I love it as well. You yeah. can invite us along if you want. We'll be your guinea pigs. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, to be fair, I've actually been thinking, because I used to do it like randomly in London. And now that I've moved to Lisbon, I'm actually considering like starting to host like supper clubs and stuff and seeing how that goes. I mean, for me, I, like, because I, I mean, I'm a freelancer, so I feel like I tend to try things out, see if they work. And if they work, I continue. So I'm always like, what would I do? Oh, let me try and do it. Let's see if I like it. <laughs> I'm going to move on to our quick fire sessions. So I'm going to ask you um, some random questions that have nothing to do with fintech and just tell me the answer. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Who would like to start? I'm happy to. Okay. Ray, would you rather have antlers or a tail? Uh, Antlers. Marisha, would you rather sneeze confetti or burp glitter? Sneeze. Ray, speak fluent dolphin or speak fluent plants? So you can like speak to the plants and stuff. Oh, that's a hard one. I'm going to say speak fluent dolphin. Oh, I would have gone with the trees, but maybe just because I'm really into plants right now. (laughs) 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 Marisha, work as a unicorn trainer, but make little money or be the CEO of Boredom Factory, but be fabulously rich. Oh, unicorns, definitely. (laughs) Um, Ray... Um, who would you prefer as your elevator companion? An oversharer or a mime artist? <laughs> I feel like the mime artist would be way more entertaining. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the oversharer could it can start bumming you out and then you're like, oh my God, I'm in this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm stuck in this lift, get me out. Yeah, no. Yeah, the mime artist, I guess, could be entertaining. Marisha, zombie apocalypse or robot uprising? Robot, definitely. We're already seeing it happen with AI. (laughs) Bray, have fingers as long as your legs or legs as long as your fingers? I'm going to say fingers as long as my legs. (laughs) (laughs) Marisha, would you rather live in a world where socks are currency or where people communicate only through interpretive dance? Definitely interpretive dance. Yeah, at least that one's hilarious. The socks thing could get quite gross. Yeah, exactly. And how are you going to carry all of that around? No. (laughs) Ray, sweat honey or cry hot sauce? Oh, I'm going to say sweat honey for sure. The hot sauce, I feel like that would just be dangerous and it would hurt. It it would hurt. It would hurt, definitely. You would just cry constantly. Exactly. There's that too. But are you? But overall, I mean, I don't know about you. You probably sweat more than you cry, though. That is true. But I feel like, yeah. I mean, it depends on how much. I'm not a big. I, I don't sweat much, so I feel like I can handle the honey versus yeah. the hot sauce. But it's always a risk. It, it would be a risk anytime you go to like a hot country. It'd be a risk anytime you go to the gym. You're right. But you know what? I live in Canada, so I feel like you know. There's yeah. that factor. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've moved to Lisbon, like everything is a hill. Everything is basically a hike everywhere you go. So it's like I'm ready to sweat 
anytime I'm walking. But then, you yeah, would, either you'd go with the hot sauce in that scenario. <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't. I still wouldn't because every time I cry, it'd be this major risk. Like it would hospitalize me. No, I would still go with the with the honey. I was just questioning your answer, Marisha. Own a talking pet rock or a silent pet cloud. Talking rock. And the reason I say this is because immediately what springs to mind is um, Thor. You know, he had that friend that was rocks. <laughs> Just more entertaining, really. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, a silent pet cloud is basically what you could literally just look in the sky and say that's your, your pet, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking with that question. <laughs> Amazing. Um, we've come to the end, but before we leave, I'd like to know from either of you what we should ask the next person on the show. I can, I can go on that one. Um, I would say I have a two-parter. I think one would be um, just asking your next guest what they see as like a core competency that that leads to success in terms of a fintech. Mm. And on the flip side of it, what would be something that they've seen as, as like if they had to say one thing that actually really leads to, um, you know, not success or, or hurdles ultimately? I, I also have a two-parter. One is probably more geared towards fintechs and the others more personal. So I think the first one for me is, you know, what is a problem statement? You know, what are they trying to solve for? Specifically, if it's somebody in the fintech space or trying to create their own fintech startup, you know, for me, it's always about what is a problem statement? What are you trying to solve? How are you going to change the industry? So that would be question one. And for question two, I was actually at a women's in, women in payments conference. And the moderator, one of the talks, had an excellent question. And she kind of said to everyone, like, what was their first memory um, of, you know, their first interaction uh, in payments? Signals is our subscriber-only read, and I'm going to read you a snippet from one of the latest articles. Signals Outlook Survey, Winter 23. Is the fintech pity party over? In a few short weeks, many of us will gather in New York City for the fintech formal. A time where we can all forget about the lack of funding, the looming bankruptcies, bank partnerships, turbulence and more. Did I really just say that? But when we gather again in 2024, will the picture be as grim? We ask experts as well as the broader community. And the answer depends on who you ask and which sector or region you're asking about. We also asked about what the biggest surprises have been over the past six months, bank failures, (laughs) and what the biggest fears and predictions are for the next six, regulation. Note that not every person consented to their name being used, but what they did give us is their info when filling out the survey to confirm the results. Let's dive in. To read the rest of this article, please subscribe to the This Week in Fintech. To listen to the rest of Signals, please subscribe to the newsletter.